Hello, hello, y'all. Hey, it's me, Robin. And before we get into today's episode, I'm here to let you know that the club is open right now for new members. I'm going to take a couple minutes to fill you in on all that the club is offering right now. So if you know for sure you're not interested in joining the club, you're just going to want to hit the forward button a few times until you hear that baffling behavior show jingle. Okay, so the club is a virtual community for families of kids with vulnerable nervous systems and big baffling behaviors. Many families in the club are parenting kids with a history of complex trauma, but definitely not all. Some are parenting kids with vulnerabilities that emerge from their neurotype or their sensory system or their giftedness or their neuroimmune disorder. And of course, some have no idea why their child's nervous system is so vulnerable. The primary purpose of the club and why I've created it the way that I have is connection and co-regulation. Because when I reflect back on my time as a therapist, it wasn't the skills and strategies and tools and techniques I taught parents that mattered the most. What mattered most was how connection and co-regulation strengthened their owl brain so that they could stay more regulated in the face of the chaos in their home. Then they could, number one, actually use the tools, and number two, start to feel a little bit better even before the tools started to work. The club can be accessed online both through your browser on your computer and through an app. And it's open, of course, 24-7. There's a very active forum, a huge video library, and multiple live events every month. Sometimes I teach a masterclass on a specific topic. Sometimes we come together for group coaching or just to ask questions and pick, pick my brain. We have two sessions every month called Connect and Co-Regulates, and those are designed to offer exactly that. There's no teaching, no coaching, just a place for you to be seen and heard by people who get it. Currently, we are also offering once a month bonus sessions for siblings of dysregulated kids. The club is intended to be kind of like a buffet. There is a ton in it, not because you're supposed to do everything in the club. You take what you need when you need it and come back when you're ready for more. If you could use a little extra support, consider joining us. You can read all about all the details over at robingobel.com slash the club. I'll put a link in the show notes And we're open today until the end of the day, Friday, May 3rd. All right, y'all, here's that episode you're waiting for. Hey again, and welcome back, or maybe welcome for the first time to the Parenting After Trauma podcast. I'm your host, Robin Goble, and you've just joined me on a journey of taking the science of being relationally, socially, and behaviorally human and translating that for parents of kids who have experienced trauma as well as parents who are just interested in the science of behavior or parents who are parenting really intense kids with big behaviors. I'm a psychotherapist with over 15 years of experience working with kids with big behaviors, many of whom have experienced significant trauma, but some who have some other differences that are leading to these big behaviors. 
I'm also a self-diagnosed brain geek and relationship freak. I study the brain kind of obsessively and even taught the science of interpersonal neurobiology in a certificate program. I started this podcast on a whim with the intention of getting you free accessible support as fast as possible. So the podcast isn't fancy and I do very little editing. If you love this episode, add Parenting After Trauma to your favorite podcast player and share it with your friends and colleagues. Then after you do that, head over to my website and grab my free ebook that I wrote all about the brilliance of attachment. Readers of the ebook are saying things like, not only is it the book list laid out beautifully, like it's really beautiful to look at, but it's easy to read and offering a perspective on attachment that they've never heard before. And that's shifting things for them. So you can grab that free ebook at robingobel.com slash ebook. In today's episode, you're going to get to hear from Emily Daniels, former school counselor, somatic experiencing practitioner in training, owner of the trauma-informed education consulting firm, Hear This Now, author of The Regulated Classroom, and creator of the Educator Self-Care Toolkit. Obviously, Emily's remarkable, doing amazing work out in the world for educators, and I just can't wait to introduce you to her. Today's episode, like all of them, is sponsored by The Club, my virtual community of connection, co-regulation, and of course, a little education for parents of kids impacted by trauma. The Club was an idea I had last year that has far exceeded what I ever thought was possible. And that's only because of the extraordinary caregivers, parents, professionals who make up the very fabric of the club. The way they bravely show up for each other and themselves has gone so far past what I ever thought was possible. If you need to feel seen, to be gotten and understood, we would love to have you. You can head to robingobel.com slash the club where you'll be able to add yourself to the waiting list and be the first to know when we open our doors to new members again. If you find yourself in need of support now, while you're waiting for the club doors to open, you can work through the self-paced digital course, Parenting After Trauma, Minding the Heart and Brain. And you can find that at robingobel.com slash parent course. All right, y'all. So I met Emily Daniels earlier this year, serendipitously in an online community that has nothing to do with trauma or mental health or education or any of those things. And when I peeked a little further at who Emily is and what she's doing, I messaged her and I said, hey, I think we really should know each other. So we've become fast friends and colleagues cheering each other on as we both do this super hard but super important work together out in the world. Let's dive in and meet Emily. Mm-hmm. Emily, welcome to the podcast. I'm super excited to introduce my listeners to you and just have time for us to talk and connect more today. Thanks. Yay. I'm super excited about this, Robin. I have a feeling that we're just going to get going and we're just going to go. I think you're probably right. So for y'all who are listening, I've known Emily for just a little bit now. So this isn't our first conversation, but we are still getting to know each other. So I think this will be a really fun way to do this interview. I get to know you better. And so, so does everyone who's listening. (laughs) So yeah, let's just get started with, tell us about you. Like, tell us about the awesome work you're doing out in the world. Well, I am a trauma-informed consultant and I started my own business four and a half years ago called Hear This Now. And um, 
it's been a crazy wild ride because when I first started, I don't know if people felt like this when you told them what you were going to be doing, but I know like when I first started, folks were like trauma, what? And yeah, for real. And people were like, first of all, you can't even use that word. Yeah. (laughs) You know, they didn't. Yeah. So it was, but since that time, it's completely exploded, especially in the world of education, which has been sort you know, that's my area of focus. That's what I'm really passionate about because I was a school counselor for nearly 20 years and have always worked with children, um, particularly the quote unquote tough kids. Yes. Um, those are who I was drawn to Me too. and supporting them in the classroom and also supporting the staff, supporting educators in their role as teachers, because woo-hoo, that is not easy work. No kidding. I've always said, I love children and I love the really, really hard kids. And I love them one at a time. <laughs> That's always been my, I only have one child. I can do the, I love kids. I adore them, but yeah, just one at a time. The kid fathom. Oh, that's so funny. 30. That is so funny. Yeah, no, I, I, it's so funny because like, I never, when I first started doing school counseling too, like I've always spent, when I did that role, I always spent at least a third to a half of my time teaching in the classroom. And I'd be like, oh my God. I remember like my, one of my first jobs, the counter school, school counselor was like, she just loved it. And I was like, I hate this. I was like, this is so hard. You know what I mean? I'm like, these kids are so off the wall. I don't know how teachers do it. And, um, you know, that it's really funny because that really shifted over time to the point where I ended up preferring both small group work with kids and also being in the classroom with teachers and working with them around helping kids regulate. So it did really shift over the course of my career, but I totally hear you because it's very overwhelming when you're dealing with more than one student who's or one kid that's struggling. Yeah, or not. I, I like I said, I like them one at a time. Like it's if they're struggling or, or not struggling is, you know, one at a time. Yeah, but for the classroom <laughs> teacher, when you have more than one, they're like, oh my God. Yeah. yeah, for real. Well, tell me how, like, how did you come into this trauma-informed space, trauma-informed field? And then especially like your area of expertise around polyvagal and autonomic nervous system. Like where how did that unfold? Yeah, it felt like really um I'll be honest, it felt like a, a sort of like an, an a, it was divinely guided. Mm-hmm. So in the, um, so in the, my more recent work, I had worked in a school, uh, a local high school as a student assistance counselor, which is a little bit of a different role than a school counselor. And I provided all individual counseling, group counseling, and a little bit of classroom instruction. But in that work, I was doing work with teens and a lot of them struggled with substance misuse issues. And um, I just kind of, at the time, it was like 2014, 2015, I started hearing the word trauma a lot. Yes. And my mom, my mom is also a clinician. And so she'd kind of been like, you know, squawking in my ear about (laughs) Dr. Bethel Vanderkolk and about how I needed to learn about his work. And so finally, finally, after much begging, my department leader um, wishing me to attend his psychological trauma conference that he has every year. Have you had a chance to attend that? I actually never have, you know, living in Texas for my whole adult life until the pandemic. It's like, it's weird. Like I didn't travel much East. Like I always went like North and then West. So hopefully conference season will begin again. And this is a whole explore like world to explore for me, you know, going heading to the East coast and all the good stuff that's happening out there. 
Yeah, there is. It's like a little Mecca in Boston, actually, partly because of Bessel, but then there's a, a lot of other work too that's really robust there. But anyways, in the spring of 2016, I was able to attend his conference. And since I am a self-proclaimed nerd, you know, I was there early day one, like with yes. my notebook and my pencil and I sat in the front row. Oh, that's totally how I do it too. <laughs> Oh my God, totally. And I'm the person that the instructor or the presenter freaking hates because I'm like, um, question, question for you. Um, yeah, can I, I just, I want to understand a little better. And they're like, oh my God, seriously? So yeah, I'm that person that'll ask a question in front of a thousand people. Uh-huh. So I'm sitting there front row with Dr. Peter Levine, had no clue who that man was. And he started talking, he was presenting that day about his approach to healing trauma, somatic yes. experiencing. And I know you're trained in that as well. Yes. And um, so you maybe have heard me say this story before, share this story before, but it was like, it was just one of those life altering moments because when he started to describe what that meant, I just started to fall like in front of this guy with all these people around me. I just like the tears just started because he was naming an experience in the body that no, you know, no one else had ever done before. Like, so I had been somebody who had been teaching children about emotional vocabulary and, you know, really identifying feelings and thinking that the key to helping kids regulate was to be able to accurately identify their feelings. Yes. And there was, and there was Levine being like, the feelings are just constructs, you know, they're just labels that we give to your visceral experience on the inside, that, that, that lump in your throat, that clench in your belly. And I was like, Oh my God, no one right. has ever named this. Like in all my years of therapy, <laughs> right? no one had ever named that for me. And so um, it just set, it really just set my world on fire and it set me on a course of discovery that continues to this day. So of course I had to go get his training and yes. like, enrolled in his program and did that for a year, did that intensive training, which as you know, is very yep. eye-opening and um, a lot of self-discovery there. And I was like, the whole time I was being trained in somatic experiencing, I'm like, this is entirely relevant for educators. Like yes. this is like educators need to understand about physiological state. And that's also where I first became exposed to the polyvagal theory. So it's been kind of like, you know, off to the races since then. So that was in the spring of 2016, and um, I came back to my high school, and I was um, spearheading some change work, and I just encountered so much resistance from education at that time around trauma and trauma-informed, and, um, you know, and I just, I just couldn't take it anymore. I just was like, I got, I got to go, I got to go do this. I got to go, like, help educate educators about why this is totally relevant to their experience and why it has everything to do with success or not in the classroom. Yes. So, yeah. So that's, that's kind of how things happened. Yeah. I mean, it's so, I'm sure for so many of us, it's so similar, right? Like there's this moment where you're like, Oh my gosh, this has changed everything. Um, And then, yeah, obviously we both have these real similar passions of how can we get this information to as many people as possible because 
sometimes I feel like in the mental health field, we hold just a little too tightly to the things that mm-hmm. we know instead mm-hmm. of looking at you know, a whole nother conversation for a whole nother day. <laughs> Instead oh my God. It was like your, your post yesterday or your article or whatever it was. It was oh, I guess it was a post. I was like, Oh, his girlfriend. You yes. speak his girlfriend. Cause like, yes. oh, that's a whole conversation. We've never, I've never heard anybody talk about. Yes. So, right. So the week that we're recording this was the week I posted my podcast and the blog on, on moments of healing and how mm-hmm. do we, you know, just get really honest with ourselves about why do we hold some of this information so tightly mm-hmm. instead of like standing up and shouting from the rooftops and figuring out how do we get this information to everyone everywhere so people mm-hmm. can access these experiences far outside like the hour a week therapy model, which frankly is super inaccessible to the vast majority yes. of people. Yes. And then of course, in your world, like in the educator field, right? Like how do we get this information to them? Because it's so relevant to kids who have experienced trauma, but right. It's, it's relevant to everyone. Like it's everyone. changing the everyone. way we see everybody has stress. everything. Exactly. We all have an yeah. autonomic nervous system and yes. we're all stressed, especially now. <laughs> exactly. So. Exactly. And, and it's interesting too about, you know, what, what part of what you're saying is like what I feel like has been my purpose, which is to build the bridge from the clinical world into the world of education. Yeah. And I'm not the only person doing that work, yeah. but that is definitely my drive um, is to say, is to try to is see if I can, uh, you know, relinquish it from the, from the grip of um, mental health. Not to mention that I have a lot of perspectives on even how mental health yeah. views and response to a lot of this information as well. They, they have a lot of, the field still has a lot of growing to do. Absolutely. So yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So super inspired started learning about polyvagal autonomic nervous system. And you're like, I'm going to go and create this consulting firm. Yes. That's exactly what happened. So I did that. I left, I resigned my job um, in 2017 in spring of 2017, um, the end of that school year. And um, initially just started doing like a lot of trauma 101 kind of trainings in New Hampshire in this area of New England. And um, when I was going in, a a lot of those trainings were with um, school districts and or nonprofits that serve youth. And so one of the things I quickly realized, um, you know, bringing the science of ACEs, and even at that time, I wasn't really training so much about polyvagal. I was just training about trauma. But um, at the time, what was happening frequently is people were like, well, what are we supposed to do? You know, like, okay, this is great information. It explains a lot about my own experience as a teacher or, or a professional. And it makes sense in terms of what I'm seeing with the students or the children. But what am I supposed to do with that? Right. You know, right. and I would like be throwing out like a few of the little like strategies, you know, because we love that language and yes. that kind of, you know, easy, you uh-huh. know, tangible, concrete. And um, but it was kind of like they were they were the audience members or participants were just kind of left like, huh? Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. You know, it wasn't it wasn't tangible enough for them. And also when you think about this information and trying to just distill it down to simple strategies, you're kind of losing the, in my opinion, the, the, the real benefit of it, which is to understand that like we 
are the issue and right. we are also the quote unquote solution, you know? Right. And so it's like, that was when we, when we keep it focused on strategies in the classroom, then we keep it other focused and focused on those kids and the need to fix someone. And so I was like, yeah, that's not what this is about. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Um, yeah. So, so that's, that's what led me to developing a regulated classroom. I wanted to pause the episode real quick and read you this testimonial from one club member. This person writes in, the club has been life-changing for me. For me, feeling alone in the stress and the overwhelm of parenting a child with complex trauma has been traumatic. Here in the club, we are finding healing for ourselves by feeling seen and heard and validated, even though we may have come here for our children's healing. Oh, y'all, that is exactly what I'm trying to do in the club, to create a space that's for you that also brings healing to your kids. So the club's open for new members until April 28th. We'd love to have you. RobinGobel.com slash the club. All right, let's get back to the episode. Yeah, I mean, it's again, so such a similar journey of like, everybody wants strategies. And I get that, especially Mm -hmm. when like everything's burning down around you, you you need to know what to do. And so I've, and maybe you found the same thing, but what I found is if I give strategies, I help, you know, that there's connection and regulation there. And Mm -hmm. then we can sort of go to the next step, which is, okay, now let's go a little bit past the strategies, but there's this toolkit, right? It's like we provide the structure. There's kind of this toolkit Mm. that seems to provide some regulation and then kind of open up. Cause just like you said, otherwise there's just like this blink blink, like this isn't practical. Like, I don't know what you want me to do with this information. And so straddling both worlds, like finding a way to do both, like really meet the need for, yeah, you need to know what to do while also staying true to like the theory, which is this really isn't about strategies. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's, and it's interesting too, because I am that kind of person that, um, you know, I look at things at like sort of a very microscopic level, like at an individual level, but then I also, partly this is due to my training, but, um, I also tend to look at things from a whole system perspective. And so I recognize that a lot of the work that we're all trying to accomplish is really about ushering in much bigger yeah. cultural change. Right. It's not just about, you know, how are you more effective with that one-on-one with that student in the classroom? But yes, there are those aspects and facets of the work. Um, but really, we're trying to, in many ways, humanize our public services right. in a way that has formally, I think, um, just, and I, I think that there's been efforts like this in the past, but I think that the, the science of stress, trauma, and resilience is so overwhelming now that there's a little bit more, and coupled with that our social issues are so pressing that they yes. cannot be ignored. Yes. So it's like those, it's like a perfect storm of drivers yes. that make it so that we're like, okay, we can talk strategies, but we also need to recognize that this is a bigger journey that hopefully we can engage in and bring others along with us to really change how we 
and I'm speaking more specifically to education right now, how we do school, you know? Totally. Totally. Oh, we'll have to schedule some more time to talk because you're making all sorts of things go off of my my noggin right now. But anyway, to keep us on track. So this went from here this time. And that's not my strong suit, Robin, because we could go like, we could go yeah, everywhere. Yeah, yes. Down we've, that done, hole. Yeah. we've already done that many times yeah. in other conversations. Okay. So you're here this now, and then now this is emerged into the regulated classroom. So tell us about the regulated classroom. Yay. So it's super exciting because actually I'm working with a couple of folks um, internally that are helping me to overhaul the website again, which we, I did a website overhaul last fall post COVID or post the first, you know, yes. post the first six months of COVID. Yes. And um, so there'll now be a dedicated website for just the regulated classrooms. So we're working on that right now. But what's been really good about that is to Helped me. It helped me to try and translate that evolution in bite-sized pieces. Um, but essentially, what I see is that I'm someone who's super frustrated with how we conceptualize social emotional learning in schools, um, and and that's and that's saying a lot because I was like Castle's first, you know, like fangirl. You know what I mean? Like yes. Castle being the collaborative for the social emotional learning, you know, whatever the heck it stands for Academy or whatever, but you know, it's that big. Yes. Um, yeah. So I was the person that was like, Oh my gosh, you know, working inner city school in Wilmington, Delaware. Um, the kids were off the hook, like, and I'm talking collectively, not individually, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. you know, and just like so overwhelmed and seeing the educators so overwhelmed with, Oh my God, how are we gonna do any teaching when like the classrooms are just, you know, complete chaos. Right. And so I, I remember, you know, being in search of like, what's the answer? Ooh, character education is the answer. Oh, no, 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 no. It's, it's PBIS. It's the positive behavior intervention and supports. Yes. Oh, no, 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 no. It's, um, it's Castle's, you know, framework for, you know, the five most important, you know, areas, social domains. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, at the time I, I was that girl and I was totally cheerleading those initiatives and efforts in my school um, and really hopeful that that would make a difference. Yes. And as time, and as time went on and, um, some of my, you know, positions changed and stuff, but I was still doing very similar work. I quickly began to realize that, you know, a lot of this quote unquote explicit teaching around social emotional skills was a bunch of hogwash. Yeah. because there was something else going on that was preventing children from being able to access those taught skills right. when they actually needed them most. You know right. what I mean? Right. And, and so that's like, that's how I got to really um, being in love with the polyvagal theory because it was the first conceptual framework that I encountered yes. that gave what I felt like was the only plausible explanation for why explicitly teaching doesn't necessarily change behavior. Right. And, um, and anyways, so yeah, so I got, so from there, I, I was reflecting on some of the practices that I had used with students through the course of my career. So like I was trained in Reiki in my twenties and I used mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. in mindfulness-based stress reduction. Mm-hmm. And I had done a lot of adventure-based counseling with kids okay like all these movement oriented, somatic oriented ways of being yep. were really effective. And I was like, 
when I met polyvagal and more of the science, I was like, oh my God, like, you know? And yes. so I, I felt as, as I was doing the work and with Hear This Now, I felt compelled to want to kind of bring all of the experience that I'd had, all the training that I had together into a framework that was tangible and easy for, for teachers to understand. Yeah. So, so it was kind of like, it's kind of like a collection of the things that I've come to know as a counselor, as an educator, as a parent, um, and as a person, as an individual, right. you know, and so that's what the regulated classroom is. And so I like to tell folks, it's like a, it's a tier one, meaning it's a prevention, proactive oriented approach to cultivating the conditions of felt safety in the classroom. So that's what makes it somatosensory and polyvagal informed. It's because yes. I'm approaching this understanding that there are conditions that need to be absolutely intentionally and deliberately massaged and cultivated in order to inspire that experience of belonging and feeling safe and feeling seen. And, you know, and it's not just all what you say with students or say to students. It has a lot to do with you know, the, the actual physical environment and sort of just the ways in which you go about um, practicing in, in the, in the classroom, you know, like your, your routines and your um, procedures and, you know, how you think about things because we're very agenda driven in education, very yes. focused on the task and not so much on the context in which students are experiencing those tasks. So that's, that's a very long response to what's the regulated classroom. <laughs> no, it's awesome. I mean, I'm just sitting here going, oh my gosh, like how, like, I, yes. Like, how do we get this every place? So how are you getting it places? Like what, what's it look like? How are you working with teachers and classrooms and what are like, yeah. How are they implementing what you're teaching them? Yeah. So it's been really kind of an organic um, evolution. I have most of my clients come to me through word of mouth. So it's mm-hmm. like, I, you know, train with somebody and then they hear about it or they attended that training and they tell their people. And so I've been fortunate enough to train with, especially now with all the virtual work that I can yes. do. Yes. Um, I, I've been able to train with lots of different folks, folks from California and folks out West and folks from all around the country. And um, I also have established a partnership with the Polyvagal Institute. And so they just also finished offering a course in the regulated classroom and they're going to offer another round of that again as well. But it's been, um, like I said, it's been a very organic process up to this point, but what's exciting is that when people engage in the training and when they understand when the teachers and the educators in the classroom begin to understand the role that physiological state plays in their experience and their, their behavior. Yes it's a complete shift for them, like a complete. So a lot of times they'll say, oh my gosh, like they have the same experience I had with Levine, which is like, this is the first time anyone has named what I have been experiencing and not in mental health terms, you know, outside of being diagnosed as anxious or depressed or, you know, bipolar or whatever it might be. So it's really heartening for me because I love that people feel so validated in the approach. And then they also feel super equipped because I'm giving them a whole sort of, um, what's the word I want to use, collection of practices that they can bring right into the classroom 
um, that will that are intended to synchronize the collective nervous system. And that's how my work is different than some other folks, because a lot of other folks think about the nervous system as a very individual kind of, um, you know, phenomenon. And it is like we all definitely have our own uniquely tuned nervous systems. But there's also a phenomenon that occurs when you bring people together mm-hmm. and there is a synergy and a synchronicity that can be cultivated. Mm-hmm. And that's really what I'm teaching teachers how to do is how do you do that? How do you um, get a group of, you know, get how are they able to be the co-regulatory anchor for the for the broader group? Yes. And um, and it's just it's a beautiful thing. So I get to do that mm-hmm. with them through the training. They get the actual experience of what that is how good that feels in their body. And then, you know, they get opportunities to bring that back to the classroom in, in the form of the practices and also the, the sensory toolkit, um, the self-care toolkit that we've designed that goes along with the training. So tell me, like, do you think there's a moment or is it a broader experience? Does it feel like there's a moment where an educator's like, it's, there's this shift like, Oh, I, I, I got, like, I get what you're saying now, or does it feel like it takes, you know, it's really kind of gradual over the, cause it's, are you spending days with people when you train them? So you may have heard that the club is open today for just a few days for new members. And I wanted to share with you what this club member said about her time in the club. This member says, I was way more successful handling a stressful situation than I would have been a year ago. And it is truly a result of the material I've learned through Robin and the club. Oh my gosh, y'all. I love, love, love hearing that. There's no way that we can promise that the stress from your kids is going to change because we're just not in control of anybody else but ourselves. But what we can do is work to change how we respond to those stressors. And that's what we do over in the club. We are open for new members from now until the 28th of April, and we would love to have you. So typically when I train virtually, it's in sessions, like uh-huh. it's in segmented sessions. So it's sure. like a two hour, you know, the, the introductory course is six hours. That's most commonly what, what districts will um, contract for. So then I usually provide that. I don't like to do more than two hours at a time yes. um, if possible, you know, especially with larger groups, but yeah, you know, it's really interesting because I do think, and I'm sure you experienced this as well, that there are aha moments, but then there's also like a, um, you know, a quick return to the default way of being and thinking and experiencing. Yep. So it's almost like it's a, it's a deepening process. And when I get the opportunity to do coaching with those same clients, I see that um, way of knowing get, it becomes more a part of an ingrained part of folks. Yes. Um, but it does take, it takes time. I'm not going to lie. It oh, takes yeah. time. Like there's, there's an acknowledgement and like, there's a, 
like I said, there's an affirmation and validation, like, oh, this yeah. makes so much sense now. Yes. But it's a much longer process and deeper journey to actually have them be able to continue to return to this understanding when they are experiencing challenge themselves yep. and or with, with students. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I would say I have the exact same experience. Like so much of us, I think, I think most of us are walking around the world, just longing to be seen. And I think Mm -hmm. that's what like polyvagal theory and, you know, these theories of our autonomic nervous system is providing that for us. In fact, one time there was in a discussion where people were, you know, the ever frequently occurring debate about, you know, somebody new has decided they've debunked polyvagal theory. Right. And I remember I said, I was like, you know what? I got to be honest with you. I'm at the point where I don't even care if it's debunked. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And that's not very science grounded, but it's like what polyvagal theory has feels like it's done for me. And for the families I work with and people I teach is that it's first of all, provided people with a sense of being seen like, mm-hmm. again, just like we were saying, this makes sense. Like there's this like thunking in our nervous system because it makes sense viscerally. Like, oh, I'm hearing mm-hmm. something. Sure. You're teaching me about the kids in the classroom or the kids in my home or the kids in my counseling practice. But my, my nervous system is hearing you talk about me and mm-hmm. maybe for the first time ever. Right. So there's this mm-hmm. like deep sense of knowing. And then this accompanying deep sense of compassion, right? Of like everything my body and my nervous system is doing and my kids are doing, we can acknowledge that some of them are like not good and definitely need to be changed and Mm -hmm. make perfect sense. Amen, sister. Amen. When we pull that compassion in, and I, you know, like I say a lot, like compassion is the neurobiology of change. Like we're not, mm-hmm. nothing's changing until we pull in compassion. And so there's mm-hmm. part of me that's like, like I said, I don't even care if it's, you know, if we get to the point where polyvagal theories debunks, I'm like, meh, whatever. Like what it has <laughs> done for that piece, for like this compassionate knowing of self and knowing of others and then giving us permission to move out of this behavior-based paradigm mm-hmm. has changed things forever. And it's so exciting. So yeah, I have the same experience of like, it's kind of a thunking, like people are like, Oh yeah, this makes sense. It's like a relief, Mm -hmm. but then yeah, it takes a lot of time. And I want listeners. Well, one, I want listeners to hear two things. One polyvagal theory at its core is extremely complicated. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like people tell me all over again, like, I don't get it. I don't understand. I'm like, that's okay. Just keep going back. Keep going back. Keep going back. Mm -hmm. Like every time you pass through. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So everyone hear that. But then also like, not only is it complicated from kind of this left brain, you know, sciencey perspective, but Mm -hmm. the embodiment of it Mm -hmm. takes a long time time and that's okay. And that's normal. And I think that's part of it, right? Like the continued commitment to returning, I think is, is a part of the embodiment of it. So I just want everybody to hear that. Who's going polyvagal. I don't get it. It's not landing and I can't do it. It's not, you know, it's just like, yeah, that's normal. That's true for, that's true for everyone. We're just going to keep passing through it again and again. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's so many things in that, that you just said that I I could speak to, but I think one of the things that resonates most powerfully for me is that I don't, I'm not interested in the, 
idiosyncrasies or the, you know, what's the word I want to use? Like, I'm not interested in whether or not Porges' theory is scientifically validated at the most, most microscopic anatomical level, right? right? Which is partly what the, you know, criticism is. When you right. look at his core principles, though, of the theory, right. no one's challenging that. Right. So the, the, the biological necessity or imperative for safety in this, in this search for safety. Like yes. if you don't get that, you're probably pretty dissociated. <laughs> like, yes. because I mean, that's just, you know, I, you know, this as a counselor, as a therapist, and I know this through my counseling training, but I knew this even before I was trained that like, that is just so to me, that is such a helpful framing of what drives a lot of our behavior, you know? Yes. And, and so I, to me, I just, I don't need it to be that every facet of the theory is a hundred percent accurate. Right. And, and furthermore, I think most theories that we, you know, essentially are organized by or, or are, um, you know, are their principles are embedded in who we are, how we define ourselves, things like Darwinism and stuff. I don't know, you know, all, all their theories, they all right. are going to have people who are going to challenge them because right. that's the thing is it that's, the that's what a theory is. In. Exactly. <laughs> you know what exactly. I mean? It's like this, it's just trying to make explanation for what we experience. And so, yes. yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't, but I agree with you a hundred percent that there is, there is this two parts at least to this process, which is one is that, like you said, that deep wisdom held within our body yes. that is, is really inspired when we hear about polyvagal. Yeah. Like there's a, there's a resonance with like it, like the information that you're like, oh my gosh, yes. And, and to continue to live by that, those organizing principles and to return to what's happening for you physiologically is an ongoing life journey. Yes. Right? It's like, I don't think there's ever an end to that. Um, I, I, I experienced that myself, but yep. what I love now is I have a lot more compassion, compassion for myself. And also this, I think is the most important piece. I have a lot more suspicion about the meaning I make from the physiological experiences that I have. Oh, I love that. So, say that again. I want to, I want you to say those words again. <laughs> I have a lot more I have, suspicion. I have a lot more suspicion about the meaning I make from the physiological experiences I encounter. I so, love that. Right? Yes. This really is it. You know yes. this from this morning when you yeah, saw yes. me. Okay, so I just have to tell our audience that this morning, Robin, myself, Dr. Amy Stober, and Marta Pacheco, who developed Capable, we have this little like, and girl group of each other and we give each other <laughs> that is a lot what it is it I is love that. it's, it's a fan girl group of each other uh-huh. yeah exactly and um so like this morning I was having I was tired which impacted yes. my physiological state I had a lot of training I did in the last six days I was on the road and there was yes. just a lot of things and I'm and I'm feeling super overwhelmed in my business right now because it is growing beautifully but it's also much to manage. Yes. Um, and a lot of fear comes up for that. Anyways, long story short is it was wrecking my physiological state this morning. And then I was all these, all this negative narrative was emerging. That's like old stuff from like my childhood. Right. Yep. Yep. And so it's like, I can throw it out there to you ladies 
and you ladies can hold it for me and be like, I understand those parts for me come up too. And that's kind of all I needed to hear to be able to have it shift my physiological state where I was like, okay, okay. It's okay. I'm not the failure that I tell myself I am. I'm not a loser. Like, you know, all those things that come up when you're wrecked on the inside, which is what I was experiencing this morning. So yeah, Yeah. way more suspicious of the meaning that I make because let's face it in therapy, you spend all your time in most therapies, you spend all your time with those meaning making processes. And usually you don't ever acknowledge what's underlying them. And that's what I love about polyvagal is that it's, and that's what I'm bringing to educators. It's like, you know, they need that. They, they too need to be able to benefit from that kind of understanding because they also are in their own state of feeling, you know, wrecked by the work and feeling super judged, evaluated, criticized by both parents, administrators, like, you know, so it's, it's really, it's a beautiful thing when they get to um, have this, have this way of knowing introduced to them and shared with them. It's, it's, it's through the regulated classroom. It's just, it's really, it's an awesome, it's an honor to do that work with them. Oh, I totally agree. I totally agree. It's such an honor. And I just had this moment of like, what if, you know, like what would change if everybody in the whole world had this suspicion about what the story in their, like what the story they're making about their, you know, their physiological state. And I sometimes I'll say to people, I'm like, it's just a trick. It's just tricking you. I know it feels Mm -hmm. that way. And the story you make Mm -hmm. out of that is X, Y, Z. I'm a failure. Nobody likes me. I'll never, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever it is. is I'll never amount to anything. This is going to be another fail, all that stuff. Exactly. And for a lot of us, they're very similar. And sometimes that's nice to know that too. Like, oh, I'm not the only one who has this story. It's like, yeah, I get that your physiology is telling you that story. That's real. You're not imagining mm-hmm. the physiological experience, but mm-hmm. the story that's been crafted around that physiological experience is just a trick. You know, it yes. feels so yes. real, but it's yeah. like, I think about worm tongue, my Lord of the Rings reference, you know, that's like, it's just whispering this little trick oh, in your oh, ear. Yeah. And yeah. is it possible to consider that, that it's, that it's a story? If it is, yeah. is it possible to consider there's another one? Hey, I'm jumping into the middle of this episode real quick to share with you what this club member has to say about their time in the club. They say, what an incredible community. It was my first Connection Co-Regulate session just now, and it was so incredible to share stories and experiences. Perhaps it's even more profound being across the world from each other. Oh, I totally agree that the fact that the club has members from all corners of the world really does make the experience more profound. I want the club to give you parenting tools, but more than that, I want the club to undo the sense of aloneness. I want the club to create community and togetherness. And by bringing to people all over the world, we're able to do just that. The club is open from now until Friday, April 28th, and we would love to have you. Well, exactly. And also to, to 
recognize that that, that to me, that's the feedback loop. So forever, yes. like in the, you know, cognitive behavioral framework, it was address the top down, you know, yes. fix the thoughts to fix the way you feel, to fix the way you behave. And to me with polyvagal, it's inverted. Yes. It's like, if you can interrupt that cycle and recognize, oh, I got to get my state regulated. And then the narrative will shift. You get farther, you get much, you know what I mean? You like have much yeah. more progress than if you allow that feedback loop to continue to grow, yes. which is I feel wrecked on the inside. I'm telling myself this story. The more I perseverate on that story and that line of thought, the worse my physiological state or more ingrained that becomes and it becomes this feedback loop. So for yes. me, I'm usually trying to interrupt that with something somatic. Uh, sometimes a, a relational connection like what you ladies did for me this morning was enough to shift it. Yes. But a lot of times too, I need to hike that out. Yep. I need to clean yep. that out. I need yep. to get myself moving. Like I, I do, I need to like, or comfort it in some way, like love on my dog or, yep. you know, you know, that kind of a thing. Uh, put on one of Marna's scarves. <laughs> exactly. I know you we know, have whatever. them like scattered around the whole house. Capable products. Did she send you some? Did she send you some? Well, we met at the we met in live in that conference in June, and so I came home with a bounty, and then more arrived in the mail. (laughs) (laughs) They're everywhere. Yes, her stuff is seriously (laughs) the best. Yes, yes, yes. So, okay, when I work with parents, and I assume Mm -hmm. this is also true about educators, there's this moment too where we get to consider the possibility that somebody else's behavior has nothing to do with us. It isn't personal. It isn't a statement of their character. Amen. It is simply something that's happening in their autonomic Mm -hmm. nervous system in that exact moment. Even if you as the adult can't make any sense of it. And then it feels like everything changes. Do you feel the same way when you work with educators? Yeah. Oh my gosh. So one of the things I love doing the most and like, so it's so great because Greg Santucci's like, M, it's okay. We acknowledge you as like a complete occupational therapist, like ally. Like, I'm like, that's what I should have been. I should have been an OT. That is so funny because people say that. My OT friends say that about me too. Like you're just an honorary OT. I'm like, okay, that's cool. Exactly. (laughs) Um, I, I honestly like think that that's what I've become. Because what, one of the things I most enjoy when I train with educators is really bringing them that understanding of the sensory system yes. and how they affect behavior. And, and again, such an alignment with polyvagal theory, because, I mean, you know, even with Dr. Porges's work, he essentially says that oftentimes the body is detecting a cue of threat or danger or risk or novelty in the environment, and it's an environmental cue. So it could be the lighting in the room. It could be the ambient noise. It can be the, you know, overhead HVAC system. It can be, I mean, it can be a thousand things that is is enough to push that child's nervous system outside its window of tolerance. And then they start acting out. And we think it's about what we have done, what we have said, our expectation, something like that. But the reality of it is the child may not even be able to recognize right what it is that triggered them them into a reflexive response you know so yeah I love 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 um and and educators do absolutely go (gasps) 
when you start talking about that. Yeah, they absolutely do. And they start to also see that sensory needs are not just a child vying for attention or to get their way. Right. Um, That there are, you know, there are, to me, the physical environment in the classroom is one of the biggest issues that we have with dysregulated nervous systems, both for the teachers and for students. I mean, if you really think about it just from an auditory standpoint, in any given classroom, you've got 25 bodies moving about. You've got all the low frequency sounds of computer fans and HVAC systems and the hum of fluorescent lights and all the rest of it, coupled with you have ambient noise from the hallway, coupled with you have um, the the speakers, the you know announcements that come blaring in with a crackling walkie-talkie that most adults are walking around. I mean, there yes. are like seriously so yeah. many sources of ambient noise in a classroom. Personally, it makes me insane. Yeah. <laughs> it did even then, you know what I mean? So it's like, how could anybody focus or quote unquote behave in yes. such an in such an in many ways an assault on the nervous system constantly yeah. through that middle ear, you know? So I yeah, to answer that was a really long response to your question. I'm so sorry. No, no, no. I liked it. <laughs> I liked it. We could go but for yes, hours. They, they and hours. Oh my gosh, we could yeah. so go for hours. I know. So fun. So, <laughs> Okay. So before we do start to wrap up and we'll just have you back again, I want to go back to the actual regulated classrooms. So if people are like, oh my gosh, I want to know more about this, but also I'm a teacher or I'm a, you know, teacher's aide and I, I, I'm not in charge of bringing Emily in to train, you know, like tell us about what you can go to your website and grab, because I know there's your um, your book and then also the kit. And I actually don't know much about the kit. So I want to know about it. God, I love you, Robin. Um, as you can see, I am not good at plugging myself or any of my materials because I just, that's not why I do the work, but I actually you know, need to tell people about the You do because people need them. You need, yes. yes. No, yes. they actually do. And I got to tell you, yeah. so we've shipped hundreds of toolkits this summer and it's been so exciting to get their response from yeah. the educators themselves. It's yeah. overwhelming. First of all, it's the first thing they've ever received literally in their entire career that was explicitly designed and made for them. And it wasn't just wow. made for them so that they can teach the child. It was made for them so that they can better care for themselves. Yes. So it's like, this, and so they all say it feels like Christmas morning to them mm. because they open up the kit. And first of all, we line it with like tissue paper and there's yeah. essential oils in yeah. there. There's signature essential oils. And there's like all kinds of different textures because it's it's essentially 11 different sensory tools. That's what they are technically. But I like to think of them as just, um, you know, safety and security little props. Like there are things that make their body, they're intended, they're designed to make their body feel more relaxed, more um, comfortable, more... um, yeah, just so there's a whole bunch of different things. There's some Amarna's products. So there's like a weighted scarf in there and uh-huh. there's uh, a, a fidget. And then there's a massage roller for addressing like, you know, the tension that builds in our in our shoulders and our neck as we're, as we're in the classroom. And there's a variety of different kinds of manipulatives and all of the materials within it, I have selected intentionally based in my years of experience 
of training and teaching in the classroom and what really worked. Yeah. So this was part of like the, the basket of tools that I had in my office when I was a counselor that students and staff would come in and root through and find what it was that worked for them. So there's stuff like mad matter in there and there's different kinds of koosh balls and stress balls and stress rings. And I mean, mm-hmm. these, these descriptions aren't particularly helpful, but the purpose is that there's enough items in the toolkit that the teacher should be able to find something that works for their nervous system. Yes. Something that speaks to their body and being able to help their body to both settle and be somewhat focused or alert. So it's, it's striving to provide some support for optimal state of regulation. And there are enough items that if they so choose, they can share them with their students. So that was one of the most beautiful things is we um, had a contract with Kava, which is the California virtual academies. And um, they have like 16,000 students, all 100% virtually. So we sent these toolkits to a bunch of the teachers and the teachers were like, this was the most amazing thing because I loved X, Y, and Z. And my kids, my children loved this and my husband loved that. And like, yes. it became this thing in the house where there was something for everyone. Yes, And they were reporting over and over again, like this, I, they're like, I know it sounds stupid, but this was really making a difference. Like mm-hmm. my child now has to have that magnetic fidget from capable or my right. kid need, now needs that monkey noodle. Like it helps them to focus when they're on the computer yes. doing virtual school. Like it's just, so that's the toolkit. It's very much designed and intended to support um, the nervous system feeling safe and secure. Of the, the educator. educator. For the educator, that's the but, primary focus. But I'm also hearing that this would be a wonderful thing for any grown-up kind of period, yes. but yes. certainly the grown-ups who are listening to this podcast, right? Who are in connection <laughs> with kids with yes. really big baffling behaviors. Like this yes, is not, absolutely. there's nothing about what you've just described that screams like only for teachers to me. A hundred percent. Okay. Okay. Um, yes, 100%. It is completely appropriate for parents yeah. who want to bring some, you know, um, specific kinds of, like I said, equipment you could be thinking of or tools or, you know, um, supports into the home um, that might differ from just other kinds of toys yeah. that the kids would have. And it's because it's it's designed for that, the grown up and what mm-hmm. we think will appeal to their, to their nervous system. Mm-hmm. Um, Awesome. Absolutely. It's, it's, yeah, it's very, it's very, very, very cool. What's so cool about it is just, you know, these are things I used in the past, but they weren't in a toolkit. So we Mm -hmm. like designed it in a specifically in a carry handled toolkit. So Mm -hmm. people get the box, they can carry it about the school or wherever you might need to. And it's, they just, they love it. Um, Within there too, is Mm -hmm. also the guidebook, which I authored and um, was published in, let's see, February of 2020, right before COVID shut down the world, but that has done very well too. And people, it's funny because I wrote the guidebook as an accompaniment to training Mm -hmm. and it's ended up taking on a life of its own, kind of like the toolkit. So a lot of people just buy the guidebook. And if you do, and you actually read it uh, and you actually use it, you will find that there, it's just chock full of really helpful practices and also helpful framing to understand how to cultivate social emotional well-being for the adults and for the students in the classroom. So big focus on co-regulation 
through the whole approach. Um, and that's true for the toolkit as well. It's this idea that like if the adult's able to get him or herself regulated and and share that with students, that again, that's that's contributing to the synchronicity of the collective nervous system in the class. Yes. So um, yeah, so those are those two things. So if folks are interested, you can go to hearthisnow.org, which is H-E-R-E-T-H-I-S-N-O-W.org. And there's also the URL of regulatedclassroom.com, which currently brings you to hear this now, but pretty soon okay. it will be its own website. Own website. Like own website, which is super exciting. That'll be up and live next month. Oh, and awesome. um, they'll also be there um, for the first time ever on demand training. So people can right. individuals like teachers in the classroom or social workers or whomever can go and actually access the training on demand if they can't get it brought into their school or into their district. That's amazing. So everybody listening, I'll make sure all of those links are in the show notes or over on the blog. Um, If you didn't catch, catch the, the URLs specifically, I'll make sure you can link to those. And I have the regulated classroom book. And I just, again, want to emphasize like, yeah, especially the book is written with the idea of like, how do we implement this into the classroom? But you, like, those are not only possible in the classroom. So like tons of ideas for all sorts of just humans who are looking for ways to really shift their practice and their environment and the work they do with kids to this place of, you know, really focusing on regulation and felt safety. Um, and then the toolkit too, like I didn't, I, like I said, I didn't even really know what was in the toolkit and that's clearly that that's for everyone. So y'all, whether you're an educator or not, go check out what Emily's doing and what she's offering. And if you are an educator, talk to your administrators about how Emily can come in. Yeah. Yeah. I encourage people to do that because I think a lot of the ways in which I've actually come to work in schools or with districts is through Typically, it's through a person who's oriented to mental health in some way. So the yes. school counselors, so school psychologist, social worker on site, mental health clinician, they go to their administrator and they're like, hey, yeah. this is like the real deal. This is the legit, like yep. truly tra- you know, stress, trauma, and resilience informed yes. um, way to bring this into the classroom. And so it's been wonderful to be recognized by that, those people. Um and so don't think just because you're not a decision maker right. in that way of purse strings that you have no influence. You have huge, tremendous huge. influence. And really, a lot of administrators are looking to those, those experts in the school to yeah. guide them about, like, how do we deal with teacher burnout? How do we deal with students that are off the hook? Like, the regulated classroom, that's what it's designed That's for. how you do it. You that's do it with a regulated that's, classroom. That's, that's right. That's yeah. it right there. And I'll also just say one last thing before we say goodbye is that we've talked a lot about trauma. Obviously this podcast is parenting after trauma, but y'all, this is about being with people and about being with humans Mm -hmm. and seeing behaviors through a new lens. And, you know, sometimes there's, you know, this can fear that comes up if we make all these changes and the way we're doing things just for one, you know, specific group of people. How is that? And it's like, that's a reasonable fear. I understand why it comes up, but this is about, 
you know, humans and our autonomic nervous systems and our own unique adaptive responses to what's happening in the mm-hmm. environment. This is for mm-hmm. all kids and people, not just kids with a history of trauma. It just so happens that this is exactly what people with a history of trauma need in yes. order to start to bring healing to their nervous system. But this is good for all people. So, 100% Robin, 100%. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, well, Emily, it's just so been fun. such a Awesome experience to get to know you over the last couple months. I'm sure I'll bring you back on the podcast. And of course you and I will talk at other times, but thank you so much for giving your time this afternoon and letting my audience get to know you and the awesome work that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you for the chance to talk about it. I really appreciate it, Robin. Super groovy. Bye-bye. I told you Emily was going to be amazing. So many gems in this episode. And I love how we wrapped it up with a reminder that this is a way of seeing behavior isn't about trauma. It's about humans. Seeing behavior through the lens of the autonomic nervous system is absolutely wildly beneficial for people and kids, especially with a history of trauma. But we all benefit from shifting our lens. Go check out the awesome work Emily is doing and talk to your school admins to see if bringing Emily in to train your school could be possible. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining me today on the podcast. I'm really grateful for you. Thank you for your commitment to kids and to families and to making the world a better place by embodying the science of relationships. I'll see you next week. Are you ending this episode with maybe? a big sigh of relief. Like, yes, finally, someone gets me and my kids. But also maybe a sense of like, okay, but now what? All right, y'all, I've got lots of possible now what's. If you want to connect with me directly, like pick my brain, have access to me almost every day, not to mention hundreds of other parents from around the world who totally get what it's like to be you, then you're going to want to join us in the club. We have monthly live events, including groups for siblings of dysregulated kids, a huge video library with something like 80 or 90 videos, plus transcripts and certificates of completion. Plus, of course, a very active forum that I'm participating in every single day. We open for new members periodically. So go check robingobel.com slash the club. If we aren't open now, you can put yourself on the waiting list and I'll let you know the moment we open for new members. That's robingobel.com slash the club. Now, if you're a professional and you want to strengthen your capacity to work with the families of kids with big baffling behaviors and vulnerable nervous systems, plus use all of my materials, including a 12-module course that follows raising kids with big baffling behaviors, plus be included in an online searchable directory so families all over the world could find you then you're looking for Being With, which is my year-long immersive training program that runs January through December. So you'll want to go to robingobel.com slash being with, read all about it. And if you're interested, put yourself on that waiting list too. 
Now, if you just maybe need a little extra connection and co-regulation, but don't feel like you need to join the club, then you can just keep listening to my podcast. Or you could go subscribe to my Start Here podcast, and that'll give you 10 episodes in order that will take you through cultivating a great foundation of parenting with regulation, connection, and felt safety. That's at robingobel.com slash start here. You have to go there. You can't just find it in your podcast app. Or you could get yourself a copy of Raising Kids with Big Baffling Behaviors, paper book, audio book, ebook. You can get that anywhere books are sold. Or you could just head to my website, download one of my very many free resources. I keep them all really easy to access at robingobel.com slash free resources. Webinars, masterclasses, ebooks, infographics, all sorts of stuff. Go check it out. See what of those things could be supportive of you or maybe to the other adults in your life who are helping support you and your child. There are just so many ways that you and I could be more connected and you can get the amount of co-regulation and support that you need. If it feels like a lot to remember, all you have to do is go to robingobel.com and take your time clicking around, seeing what I got there. I am so, so glad you and I are connected now. And I can't wait to be with you again soon in our next episode of The Baffling Behavior Show. Bye-bye, y'all.